Okay, so let's get into God's word this morning. Last week, we started into the second chapter here in 1 Thessalonians, and Paul talked about how when he came to them, they, they brought the word of God, they brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it wasn't a vain thing. And, and the, 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 the initial declaration in that is, we brought the gospel, and, and many amongst you believed a church was birthed, so it wasn't a vain pursuit. We came and we preached and you responded. But we also saw in the word of God that when we step out of faith and when we're walking in our ministries and, and the calling God's placed on us, and especially when we are sharing the gospel, we're sharing the word of God, it's never a vain thing whether anyone responds or not. Because God, God's word never comes back to him empty. It always goes and accomplishes what he has purposed and what he pleases. And we went through a whole list of things that's really just scratching the surface of what's accomplished when the word of God is preached and proclaimed. And then we also saw the Lord, or, or Paul talking about how, how they had suffered and we saw that there was threat of suffering there in Thessalonica, and yet that didn't hinder them from going forward to preach the gospel. And we, won't, we don't want that to be the case with us because it seems like there's so many today that are shrinking back, not necessarily from suffering, but just even from the threat of suffering. And it seems that that's a real tool that the enemy of our soul's using that, boy, you're going to suffer. And absolutely, there, there, there are sufferings as well, but it seems like more so we're in a place that we've been conditioned to measure our life by how comfortable we are. And we don't want that to contaminate our walk with the Lord and measure whether, you know what, our lives are bountiful by how comfortable we are. But understand that if we're going to walk in the Lord, there's going to be some suffering and perhaps some persecutions, but we don't want the threat of that to cause us to shrink back and walking what God has for us. And then we also saw Paul talking about how his ministry to them wasn't found and based in error uh, it wasn't morally, you know, what deceitful, and absolutely it was anchored in truth. And we just considered our own lives and our ministry, and you know, what laid out those things and wanted to look at it as a checklist. You know, kind of like if you're, you know, for those that clean our the church, we kind of have a checklist of things that got to be marked off. And so just kind of look at what's going on in my life. Is there uncleanness? Is there deceit? Am I am I walking in an error? And, how am I going to minister to others if those things are on my life and so forth? And this morning we see Paul building on this. We see Paul talking about the fact that he was approved of the Lord and entrusted with the gospel. And then from there we see him talking about walking in the approval of God. And so today we're going to talk about having approval from the Lord. We're going to see that that starts absolutely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Receiving Jesus as our Lord as we hear the gospel and then seeing that when we receive the Lord through the gospel, we also receive approval and a call to share that gospel with others. And then with Paul, later he came to this place of being approved as an apostle. And he talks about now walking as a, an apostle, but in these things that he's walking in, which are marks of being approved by God, listen, these things are for us as well. The way that he spoke to please God and not men, how he didn't speak with a flattering tongue, with a cloak of covetousness, and he had a clear conscience in that. And we'll see this morning how he walked in love for others. He didn't just impart the gospel to them, but he gave them his life as well. 
And these are things that the Lord approves of. These are things that the Lord wants us to be walking in. And so as we look at these things this morning, we want to examine our own lives. And if there's areas that, you know what, that, that the Lord shines a light on, that perhaps there needs to be some repentance in, and there's some things that the Lord wants to show us, listen, I want you to be walking in these things, not in, you know what, our own vain pursuits. We want to respond, but we want to ask for His help. We want to be real with them. And listen, a humble and contrite heart, the Lord won't refuse. He wants to meet us where we're at. Listen, His word here this morning um, is, isn't just to, to correct us, but it's then to exhort us and encourage us. And so if we get that correction today, let's receive it and then receive the encouragement and the exhortation and the empowerment to get up and step out of faith and see the Lord empower us to walk in what he's called us to walk in. And so uh, let's get into the scriptures here. We talked about a little where we went, been, where we're going. Let's read the text together here in the second chapter, four through nine, and we'll just begin to go through this verse by verse. So verse four, it says, but as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Now notice the first three words here in verse 4. He says, but as we. And so we want to ask the question, who is the we? And we see from verse 6, Paul refers to the we as apostles of Christ. And I think the we here is multi-layered. You know, at the first application, he's talking about himself. He's talking about the apostles that were there in Jerusalem who had laid hands on him on the second missionary journey. And absolutely, I think he's referring to Silas and to Timothy who were apostles in the sense of they had been sent out. They were missionaries and so forth. And he's saying here, you know, we've been approved by God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And we'll get a little more here in a minute into the ministry that you've been called to and approved of and ordained in. But we need to know as well when he says, but as we, he's also absolutely to a degree talking about all of us in the body of Christ. The approval that we have through faith in the Lord and we'll talk more about this in a second. And then the approval we have once we receive the gospel to share the gospel with others. And then we'll see here again, Paul approved his apostle, walking in a manner then that was approved of God. The call to again, walk in a manner approved by the Lord. Paul's not just stating all this to talk about himself. He's stating this to instruct us as the Holy Spirit moved upon him. This isn't Paul just saying we did these things. But absolutely, Paul saying, we did these things through the help of the Lord. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And this is what God's called all of us to walk in. We collectively as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we know that Paul's approval and our approval 
is always founded in and based in the gospel of Jesus Christ when we came to faith in him as our Lord and Savior. Because if he's not our Lord and Savior, there's no approval at all. We're outside of him. We're in our sin. We're separated from God Almighty. We're not seen as saints. We're seen as sinners. We're not under grace. We're under condemnation. Acceptance starts and the foundation of it is always when we are in Jesus Christ. Notice Romans chapter 16. In this chapter, Paul's sending a lot of greetings and salutations and those little exhortations and so forth. And in Romans chapter 16, you come to verse 10. It says, a greet Apelles. And I don't know if Apelles had baggage, if Apelles had issues. I don't know a lot about Apelles, but I know Paul says, greet Apelles. And then he says, approved in Christ. The, things that, the thing that approved Apelles was the fact that he was in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was approved because he was in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was foundational. And we are approved of God when we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to faith in him. And we just think about Paul and his conversion. And we've talked about this a few times now in our study in Thessalonians, how he was one that persecuted the church. He had a great zeal to crush Christianity. Remember, he was going to Damascus to get more power, more letters and so forth to persecute more. And of course, along the way, Jesus Christ met him, and he was knocked down, and you know, the Lord says, why are you persecuting me? As he was persecuting the body of Christ, he was persecuting Jesus, and he says, who are you, Lord? And we see Paul coming from a place of unbelief to a place in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he went from being an enemy of the cross to being accepted by God through putting his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Colossians 1.21, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So we were enemies of God. We were alienated from God because of our wicked works, because of our sin. Because we weren't under grace, we were under condemnation. God's standard is perfection, and outside of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. We grossly fall short of the glory of God. God's law exposes that. He goes on to say here, though, yet now, and praise God for yet now, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So in other words, you were alienated, you were enemies in your wicked works, but Christ came to make the way of salvation through his death, through his resurrection, and when we put our faith in him, and true faith, listen, it's going to continue. We may have ups and downs, but God is faithful to us, and absolutely it's through faith in him that now we're above reproach in his sight, or in his sight we are positionally approved. And that's the only way we're approved in his sight, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. And now practically we want to walk in approval as well. And that happens in part, When we receive the gospel and we understand in receiving the gospel, we also receive a commission now to share that gospel with others. And if we were, if we clearly heard the gospel and responded to the gospel, then we are equipped in that to go share the gospel. If we really understood we were sinners and under condemnation, bound to hell, we understood that Jesus is the only way, that he lived a sinless life, fulfilled 
so many prophecies in his life, his death, his resurrection, the fact that he atoned for our sins. He rose from the grave and defeated sin and death, and now it's only by his grace, his free gift of his life laid down through faith in him and him alone. He's our Lord and Savior that we have salvation. The simplicity of John three sixteen: for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him or trusts their life to him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When we got saved by the gospel, when we received him, we received approval now to proclaim that gospel with others, to others, to now walk in them. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, or Colossians 2, 6, excuse me, it says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. So you've received the gospel, you're in Christ, now go walk in Christ. And a part of that absolutely includes sharing the gospel with others. It's interesting, Paul, that happened to him at the road to Damascus. We know that he's at Ananias' house. They pray for him. The blinders that had come on his eyes physically were lifted. And then we read in Acts 9.20, and this is far before the time that Paul ever became an apostle or was ordained as an apostle. It says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he was the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. So Paul knew. Paul knew he was a sinner. At this point, Paul knew Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was resurrected. And immediately, he knew he was approved to go out and share the gospel with others. As he received Christ, he received approval to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. We saw that last week when we talked about Legion, when we were talking about planting seeds, how Jesus had gone to Gadara. Legion, this demon-possessed man, you know, the Lord cast those demons out. He came to faith in the Lord, and he said, I want to follow you, Lord. And the Lord said, no, go back to Gadara and share the gospel. And this was after those from Gadara came out and they wanted Jesus to get out of there. And this man didn't know a lot. He spent a little time with Jesus. But what he did know is that Christ had set him free. That Jesus had washed him of his sin. And he went forth and he told multitudes about that. And on Christ's second return, everyone from Gadara came out to receive Christ, to worship the Lord. He didn't know a lot, but listen, he knew enough. And I know, listen, my own life, when I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I deserved hell. I knew that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior when he rose, that he rose from the grave. And I had put my faith in him, and I knew I was forgiven. And I didn't know a lot, but listen, I knew enough. And that enough was so powerful, I knew that enough in itself was enough to be shared to go forth to save people's souls. And this is where ignorance is bliss. I didn't worry about if someone had some argument that some scientist would come along or this or that or the other. Listen, that didn't, that didn't, I then even came into my thought. All I knew is that I was lost, I was bound to hell, and the gospel has set me free. And I knew this, there was no message more powerful than that, that that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was the power of God unto salvation. And I think sometimes, you know what, as we grow in the Lord, we start polluting the simplicity of that and we lose sight of the power of that message. Because when we're first saved, it's fresh to us, right? 
We've experienced it ourselves. Not that we want to base things on our experience, but we have seen the word of God lived out that it was the power of the, of the power of God to save us. And as we received Christ as Savior through receiving the gospel, we received the call, the approval to go share it with others. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 or 5, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Then he says, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And he doesn't say your ministry's evangelism, but fulfill your ministry as a pastor and a mentor. But while you're doing that, absolutely do the work of an evangelist. And we all have that call, no matter what our gifts are, no matter what our ministries are, we have the call to do the work of an evangelist. That call, that approval came to us to share the gospel with others when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so Paul had been approved by God through his faith. He had been approved by God to share the gospel. And then time went by and Paul was approved as an apostle. He was approved as a minister. They came to the place of laying hands on him and ordaining him. They recognized, listen, God has set this man apart to now walk in a church office. And hear this this morning, that's no small matter. There's a great responsibility in that. There's a stricter judgment that comes with that. There's a greater responsibility to represent the Lord, to clearly proclaim the truth, to live a life above reproach, to speak to please God, not man. And that doesn't mean that that's for them and not everyone else, because it's all the more the call is to do those things, be an example for others to follow that as we're all following the Lord. And so that serving needs to be preached of one's life. It's not a small matter. This is why in that, again, pastoral epistle written to Timothy, Paul tells him in 1 Timothy 5.22, he says, Don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. So in giving that approval of elders and people in church offices, he says, don't do that hastily. Make sure that they're tested. In fact, the word approved here, it means to be accepted through testing. Just as when we got saved, the Lord really knows our heart, whether we're sincere or not in him. And he knows if we've really called on his name, he tests that. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And when Paul here is saying that we've been approved, again, the context first and foremost is as apostles, he had been tested. And it's not a light matter. I know over the years I've learned this lesson, sometimes the hard way. You know what? We can't lay hands on hastily. It's easy to lay hands on hastily. What's difficult is doing something about it after those hands have hastily been laid upon. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, there's been a mistake here. So you don't want to do that in a hastily manner. And listen, if God's calling you to a place of a church, you know, an office or a pastoral role, an elder or so forth, a deacon, that shouldn't be something we want to rush in ourselves either. We want to have our own lives tested because there's a lot of weightiness with this. Notice 1 Peter 5.1, and we looked at this verse recently, but it says, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And notice verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. And then he goes through a list of exhortations But the thing I want to point out here, shepherd the flock of God. That's a huge thing. He doesn't say shepherd your flock. And I kind of cringe when people will say, well, how's your flock? Or, you know what, how, look, look at 
look at that man's flock, and he oversees a flock, and then these guys start comparing their flocks and whatnot, you know, and there's a lot of that today, and listen, I'm an under-shepherd, you're the flock of God, and that's a weighty thing, is it not? That's a huge, huge matter, it's not a small matter, and so Paul's talking about He'd been approved, he'd been entrusted, and it builds on what we're going to look at more here in a minute as an apostle, yet he didn't take that and use it to lord over them, but absolutely to minister to them. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a list there of qualifications for an elder. And I'm not going to read it this morning, we don't have time to go into the details of it, but it talks about the testing of one's life. And it talks about them needing to have a good reputation in the community and they're not a novice and they're a husband of one wife and their homes in order they can teach and all these various things and these are things that need to be seen over time there needs to be a testing in these things in fact after elders he talks about deacons and it says there in verse 10 of first timothy 3 let these all also first be tested and so look at their lives don't lay hands hastily upon them and then since the paul of Being approved as an apostle, yes, he was approved by the Lord, then he was approved by those other apostles as they tested his life and they saw his life lived out. And he went from that place again of them being fearful of him, even in him preaching the gospel, which was right of them to be doing. You know, some people read Acts 9 and they're like, boy, boy, they were really harsh on Paul in Jerusalem. It's like, hey, what's this guy doing here? He was just persecuting us. Now he's saying he's a Christian. Oh, those judgmental Christians, they were being good shepherds in that. Let me tell you, over the years, pastoring this church, there's been different times when notorious people have come into this fellowship. And initially on them coming in and sitting in the seat, I thought, well, praise God that they're here. I hope they hear the gospel. I hope they're here for truth. But you better believe before they left or before the end of the day, I got into contact with them. And I asked, listen, why are you here? Are you here for the gospel? Are you here because you are seeking the Lord? Are you here just for a cloak of righteousness? Are you here to try to deceive people? That's what a shepherd does. And I remember years ago, there was a man that, that uh, had, had raped several women, and he had been let out of the state hospital. And he was here with a doctor who fell in love with him when he was in the state hospital, and she lost her job because of that. And he shows up here. And, and, I, and I knew who he was, and I thought, praise God that he's here. And then afterwards, I pulled him on my side, and I said, listen, have you repented of your sin? And he said, I've done no sin. And I'm like, well, then until you repent, you're going to do no refuge church either. <laughs> because he was so adamant in it. And it was really clearly seen what he was trying to do was to try to put on a cloak of, of righteousness. And listen, I took him aside and preached the gospel to him. There wasn't a shred of humility and so forth. And that had happened with Paul, but as time went by, and listen, we can read through Acts and we see Paul's conversion, we see him sharing the gospel, then we see him sent out all in a few pages, so we think this all happened in a few days. Paul was saved in 34 AD, soon after Christ's resurrection. You know when his first missionary journey was? 48 AD, 14 years went by. That was a long time of them testing, of them watching and so forth. So Paul says here, I've been approved by the Lord. And listen, he was, he was approved by the Lord in that he was walking in these things. As he begins to talk about this, this is for us as well because we want to walk approved of the Lord. Paul said, imitate me. So all these things that he lists now, 
They're not just there for him saying, I'm doing these things and him showing here, I'm here loving you. But again, he's saying those things to them to follow me, to imitate me as I am imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're approved by faith in him. We're approved to share the gospel. Now we want to walk in approval with him practically in our life. So this is what we move into now. So he says, again, we've been approved by God and trusted with the gospel. And because of this, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Now notice here, first of all, entrusted with the gospel. So he says, we speak. And if we want to share the gospel, we got to use words. Listen, Francis of Assisi was wrong when he said, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. Uh, That's wrong. It's the big family feud X coming up, right? Listen, we want to live out the gospel. We absolutely want to represent the Lord, but the gospel has to be shared. No one's going to get saved through my good works. Hopefully, there's some good works that open up doors. So when the gospel's shared, it's more effective. But the gospel has to be shared. Romans 10, 14. So then how shall they call on him who they not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Paul says, we speak not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And how many times have we all been guilty of not speaking because we're trying to please men. Because let's face it, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a great offense to many folks. I mean, there's no name that's more offensive in our culture today than the name of Jesus Christ. People who say, you know what, that he's not Lord. Some people say he didn't exist, which is just utter foolishness. Uh, The whole list of different things of Jesus attacking his person, attacking attacking. His, his, his resurrection and all these sorts of things, and they try to compare him to a fictional character like Santa Claus or something, and yet they're so offended by him. Why? Because the name of Jesus convicts. There's a conviction with the name of Jesus. Listen, there's, there's a conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Eternity's written on men's hearts. There, there's an inner understanding in the hearts of men that the day's gonna come, they're gonna have to bend knee and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's why his name's so offensive. That, that's why people are so turned off and we don't wanna be in a place where we don't risk you know, it upsetting someone or just trying to please men by saying nothing. Now, I know for some folks, this is just frightening, the idea of sharing Jesus with someone else. And there's some people that they just have more of a gifting of evangelism. There's some folks, they're, 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 they're just, you know, when I got saved, I didn't, I didn't, before I got saved, I didn't care what anyone thought about me, so why am I gonna start caring now that I am saved? You know, that, that was God using something horrific, I guess, for good now, you know? And there's just some folks like that. Like, I, don't, I don't care what you think about me, you know? And usually, those are the folks that need to now learn to do it in love, you know? That, that's more of the issue there. But I wanna encourage you, if, if you're like, man, that's just intimidating, Listen, start praying about that. And make sure that you're not sharing out of a heart to want to please people. And I just encourage you to start to take steps. One of the great ways to do that is with gospel tracts. And we have a lot of them here. And again, we, we passed out several hundreds of those yesterday. And just the one we have out there, the bridge to God. It's just a simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'll be amazed how when you start taking those steps. You know, we walked home from colony days. Uh, we live, you know, kind of back behind the the park there and whatnot, you know, we got to talk to some people in the park, just in conversation and whatnot, and I grabbed a stack on the way home. There's a series of, of telephone poles, and every other one got a track placed on it, you know, and just, just a prayer. Lord, I pray someone will come along and, 
and read this and so forth. And it, that in a way is a way of speaking the gospel. And I know there will probably be some people upset, right. and there may be others that, you know, it plants a seed or it waters a seed or brings a reminder and so forth. And before you start thinking, oh, you put those on there. Listen, there were garage shell signs on all those poles in the first place. So I was just, you know. Anyway, he says, not, we don't speak to please men. And listen, there's so many charges in the scripture not to speak to please men. And there's so many warnings that before Christ returned, that there would be so many in pulpits speaking to please men, not God. We go back there to 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you that before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Speak to please God. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And then notice verse 3. We've heard it many times. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And this is key in this, but according to their own itching ears. In other words, don't tell us what we need to hear. Tell us what we want to hear, what our flesh wants to hear. Because they have itching ears they will heap up, which means they're going to stack them high and wide. They'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And there's so many ministries today, and I can't judge anyone's heart. That's an unrighteous judgment. But if you judge the doctrine, the fruit, you judge by what's allowed to come in because part of the role of a shepherd isn't just feeding the sheep, it's also protecting the sheep. Otherwise, you may just be fattening the sheep up for the wolves. Wolves love fat sheep, right? There, there, there's not only a, there needs to be a proclamation of truth, there needs to be exposing of false teaching. That's basic 101 shepherding. Absolutely. But there's so many today, again, that, that seem to speak more to, 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 to please men to please, than please God. This is why universalism is getting so popular. The idea in the end, love wins and we're all saved. That appeals to men, right? People want to hear that. They like that idea. And there's a lot of people that even say the name the name of Christ that like that idea because now we don't need to worry about Aunt Beatrice going to hell. Yeah, she's hated God her whole life, but in the end, love wins and she's accepted by the Lord. I had a guy the other day, I was talking to him, and he says, you want to hear my theology? And I'm like, yeah, I would love to. I believe God resides in the souls of all people, and that we're all good. And I said, you're wrong. Where did you get that from? And he had a look at his face like, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> and I took him to the gospel, and by the end, he's like, well, yeah, that's what I really meant, what you're saying. And I said, yeah, so do you get it? We have to have faith in Jesus. He says, yeah, I get it. And then he's walking away and he says, we also need to love everyone too to be saved. And I go, no, no, you're adding to your works again. I go, quit deifying yourself. (laughs) People want to hear those things though. And again, there's scripture after scripture that talks about, Jesus said, many will come on my name saying, I am he and many will be deceived. In 2 Peter chapter 2, many will follow the destructive ways of talking about false teachers. 1 John chapter 2, 18, many antichrists will arise. And so we don't want to speak to please men. We don't want to tell people what they want to hear that appeases their conscience, their flesh, and so forth. But we need to speak to please God. And praise God that in the midst of so much false teaching, that there's a remnant. Listen, there's a lot of solid Bible teachers out there still. They're getting more few and far between. I know on our radio station, we have over 70 ministries on there. 
And, and I kind of chuckle every once in a while I hear someone say, oh boy, you're just against everything. No, I'm against false teaching, but I am all for, for those, all 100% for, for those rightly dividing the word and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray every day, Lord, bless those that are preaching the gospel, rightly dividing the word of God, that are, you know, speaking to please you and not men. And oh, Lord, I pray, grant us grace and mercy to be counted amongst that group. Praise God for those. In fact, that's part of being approved by God. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Notice here, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then notice verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they'll increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. So being approved by God is, yes, rightly dividing the word, but it's also shunning idle babblings. And I know there's a real popular saying today is, you know what, we don't speak about what we're against, just what we're for. Sorry, that's not biblical. Jesus called Herod, you know what, a, a fox, or was it Pilate? I know he, he threw them both under the bus. It's not just what we're for, but what's against the Lord, especially if it's ravaging the body of Christ. Now again, we need to do it tactfully. We need to do it lovingly. We'll talk more about that here in a second as we put this into overdrive. But Paul was doing all this saying, he's doing it all as God tested his heart. And God knew what was behind the words. And we got to remember that as well because it's easy to have dead orthodoxy where we're just saying what it's expected to be heard but we're really not saying it in a manner that's worshipful to God. I really believe that preaching should be worshipped to God. That, that this isn't just regurgitating information, but my aim is to come into the pulpit and to worship the Lord, and in your heart, as the word of God is being rightly divided, you're saying, yes, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Glory be to God. Now notice verse 5, he says, For neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is a witness. So he's building on this idea of not speaking to please men. And let's face it, there's many times where our flesh likes to be flattered, right? Tell me sweet little lies. You know, the the old song. There's some truth in that song. Uh, Those are people that need truth, but there's some truth in it. How many times? Tell me these little lies. Tell me what I want to hear. And Paul said, we didn't do that. And we need to be aware of flattering tongues, not just of others, but absolutely of our own. Because it's easy to move into that. But throughout the scripture, listen, there's so many scriptures on flattering tongues. In Daniel chapter 11, we see one of the marks of the Antichrist is he'll have a flattering tongue that he'll corrupt with flattery. It's interesting, the first seal in Revelation, we see a man on a white horse going out and conquering. And it seems that he doesn't conquer with war, but he conquers with flattery. He tells everyone what they want to hear. And we see in the scriptures that flattery, listen, it ends in destruction. Job 17.5, he who speaks flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children will fail. So Paul says we did that. And then notice what he says, God's our witness. God's our witness that we spoke to please God, not men. God's our witness we didn't use flattery. God's our witness that we didn't put on a cloak of covetousness to try to deceive you, to get something from you. God's our witness. So Paul's saying, we have a clear conscience in this before God. And let me tell you, there's nothing greater than a clear conscience before God. Far better to have a clear conscience before God and have everyone hate you than to have everyone love you and your conscience not be right before God. 
Far better to live in poverty with a clear conscience before God than live with riches, knowing that your conscience has been that your conscience has been compromised, and even worse, if your conscience has been seared and you don't even have a conscience anymore. And there are several verses about having a clear conscience in the ministry. Second Corinthians one twelve for our boasting is this the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the word in simplicity and godly sincerity. And then Paul exhorted Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.19, having faith and a good conscience. But the scripture also talks about those with a seared conscience, especially with those that speak to please men. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And listen, there's a warning for all of us here. If we have a tendency just to speak to please people, if we want everybody to think we're a swell people in the sense of telling them what they want, we, they want to hear for that, if we're longing for affection from people over the Lord, if we use a flattering tongue, have a cloak of covetousness, we need to know and understand that there's a process happening where our conscience is being seared. And we start thinking that's the norm, that's the way we're supposed to behave. Now, yes, yes, we want to minister to people. We don't want people, we, we, we shouldn't have a, I want everyone to hate me attitude. That's not biblical either. But the word of God, Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well and highly of you. That's what they did to the false prophets. And I think there's a lot of folks today that think that our aim is to be no matter what, everyone's got to like us. And Jesus said, listen, at the end of the day, everyone's going to hate you. All nations are going to hate you. Don't think I'm praying to bring peace, but a sword. The gospel's an offense to those that are perishing. But if we get this mindset, and I can tell you, listen, most seminaries today that train up pastors, the two main things is teaching them to speak in a manner that doesn't offend anybody and how to numerically grow their church. Those are the main two emphases. And then the idea is that that's the norm. And boy, there's a seared conscience that comes from that. Where you, don't, you think you have a clear conscience, but your conscience is seared. And if that's you, listen, receive the correction today. Because if you're going to live for the Lord today, there's going to be some people that don't like you. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you haven't loved them. That doesn't mean you don't care for them. Aren't you caring for someone more when you warn them of impending danger? Then you whisper those sweet little lies in their ears so they think that you're a swell guy. Now, we really got to put into overdrive here. Verse six, he says, nor did we see glory for men either from you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul's saying, listen, we could have showed up and said, I'm an apostle, grab my bags, kiss my ring. But Paul understood the vanity of that. Paul understood the Lord came to serve. And Paul, listen, he was showing up to share the gospel with them and he wanted to start by modeling what Jesus had done for us and serving us. And this is walking for, again, in a manner approved by God. God does not approve of us when we are seeking glory from men. We need to hear that, don't we? Because all of our flesh naturally wants glory from men. I think it's the product of being cut off from God initially in the garden. But the more you spend time with the Lord at his feet, the more you're going to want him. And so Paul showed, says we showed up there and we have a clear conscience. We could have said, listen, we're apostles. Chop, chop, get our bags, kiss our ring, come and serve us. 
He says, we didn't come in that way. God doesn't approve of that. Again, hands weren't laid on Paul to go lord over people. Hands were laid on Paul to go serve people. And then verse 7, he says, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Listen, this was a young church. They were babes in Christ. Paul says, we treated you as a mommy treats a nursing baby. You cherish that baby, right? You're gentle with that baby. You make sure that baby's well fed, that baby's clean. You don't say, boy, out of the womb, you're going to need to get a job in six months, right? He was gentle with them. He grounded them in truth. I love 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word gentle here, though, it also means simple. They didn't they, they brought basic truth, but they didn't overload them and overwhelm them. Think about in Acts when the Gentiles received the gospel and got saved. They're in Cornelius' house. Then there was a big council. You know, what do we do with these guys? Do we put them under the law? Do they all need to be circumcised? What do we do with them? And the, there was a revelation given to the church that day in Jerusalem. They said, listen, none of us could keep the law. And guess what? The law just showed us we were sinners. Jesus kept the law. We're saved through him keeping the law. We're saved by grace through faith in him. And so they wrote a letter, listen, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from idols and things strangled with blood. That was kind of more of a cultural thing that could stumble Gentiles and Jews alike. We don't have time to go into that. But they just gave them some simple things and they read that letter and they rejoiced. And that church, these Gentile churches just began to flourish and flourish. And I know this, there's been many a time where someone's, you know, that I met or someone's coming to church and they said, I listened to you on TV back when we were on there. I listened to you on the radio and they say, I listen to you and I listen to Joel Olstein. And they say Joel Olstein, I like cringe because I'm the anti-Joel and Joel's the anti-Steve. <laughs> and listen, this guy's just a false teacher through and through with, with his doctrine and we've seen in his actions. I mean, this guy's just a charlatan. Just a guy that needs to repent. I mean, just, ugh. You know, the Lord loves them, but dude, you are fleecing the flock. You are, a, you are a coward. You speak to please men. You don't teach truth. You teach a false gospel. You teach genie Christ, not Jesus Christ. There's a problem here. But these new believers will come and say that to me because the dude's on every stinking channel all day long, right? You know? And I don't jump on them and say, oh, you can't. What are you doing? You got to be gentle. I say, praise God that you've come to faith in the Lord. Are you reading your Bible? Encouraging to be in fellowship. Encouraging to be in prayer. And you won't believe how many of those folks over the years, and listen, there haven't been a few, there's been many. Two, three months go by, four months go by, and they come to me and they go, you know what, I don't listen to Joel Osteen anymore. And inwardly I smile and I go, why? They're like, he says we hold up our Bible and we're going to read it and do what it says, but then he doesn't teach the Bible. Now, maybe after six or eight months, if they're still watching that, in love, you know, especially if they're promoting it, maybe after a year, and they're probably going to hear it within a year here, I think. You know, I'm going to try to instruct them because, again, you don't want to mix leaven with truth. But we need to be tactful. We, we need to be careful. Again, it's not speaking, not saying something in that manner is not being said to not 
please them, but be gentle with them. And understand, listen, this is a new babe. This is a new believer. Let's rejoice in truth. Let's encourage them in the truth versus overwhelming them with a confusion. And that's what Paul did amongst them. And then verse 8, he says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. And Paul's stating here, listen, we didn't just come here to preach the gospel, to put some notches in our belt, to say we did our business and to go on our way. And Christianity absolutely centers with the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ. Without the resurrection, without faith in Jesus, there is no Christianity, there's no hope. Listen, that's the crux, that's the foundation. But from there, in walking in Christ, we're called, again, to live for the Lord, to love the Lord, and to love one another, to affectionately care for one another, to give our lives to one another, to spend time with one another. And unfortunately, we're living in a culture where more and more people are living isolated lives. They're living in cyberspace. They're living in their cyber world and so forth. I mean, I've seen such a change in our culture over the last even 10 years, 20 years. It's dramatic. I can see it even in an event like Colony Days yesterday where back in the day, I mean, there would be thousands of people there all day. We'd give away 2,500, 3,000 bottles of water. Yesterday, 1,100 in a prime location. Just people are, people are isolated. They kind of got this bubble around them. I think that's why people are so sensitive and they gravitate to, if you offend me, now I'm righteous, you know? That's self-righteousness. And people are indoctrinated with that and so forth. We need to make sure that that's not us. We need to make sure that we're giving our lives to one another as well. Again, that verse in Hebrews, we looked at it before, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Notice here is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And listen, the day's approaching, amen? We're seeing the day of the Lord approaching. At the minimum, listen, it's closer because yesterday is gone. And the Lord said he's coming soon, but I, I see the day approaching. I see the birth pains. I mean, this stuff, the, the stuff that Jesus said would be happening is just happening more and more and more. And God has called us again to walk in a manner practically approved of him. And that includes fellowshipping, ministering to one another, absolutely investing in others. And I know there's some people, again, That they say, I want that, how do I get that? And they put the emphasis on everybody else. But the word of God says, if you want friends, you need to be friendly. And it's kind of a give, it's a take as well. You know, Paul came and ministered to them and then they embraced him. We got to do our part in that as well. And I think oftentimes in the body of Christ, we point fingers versus looking at ourselves. And let's make sure we're all striving to be hospitable to others to minister to others, to reach out to others, ask the question, listen, am I giving up my life to others? Or have I gotten to a place where I've pulled back from that because I did that for a season and my time of giving myself to others has passed and I just talk about that time. Or I did that for a while, then I got hurt. And listen, if you give your heart to other people, I'm gonna tell you the truth right now, there's gonna be times when it gets trampled. Have any of us ever experienced that? I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the more I love the more they love me back. He doesn't say that. He says, the more I love, the less I'm loved. 
And that's why we want to grow in understanding the love of God for us. That our, the sponge of our heart is filled overflowing with God's love for us. So that we can love others and we're not in a place where we're codependent upon them, but we're appreciating them and appreciating the ministry. And then when they fall short, we're not victimizing ourselves and villainizing them, but we're understanding, listen, we're all a work in progress. Thank you, God, you're long-suffering with me. Let me be long-suffering with them. Thank you that you've forgiven me. Let me forgive them. Thank you for correcting me. Let me get the log out of my eye. And now, if I need to correct them, let me do it in love. Finally, in verse 9, he says, For you remember, brethren, that our labor and toil, for our laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. So Paul's words were weighty, and his actions were weighty. He was doing as he taught. He was careful not to take advantage of them. He strived to be above reproach. He labored in the gospel, but he also labored physically. Remember, he showed up there and there were no Christians. So he didn't show up and say, I'm the Apostle Paul. Again, kiss my ring and grab my bags. He showed up there to serve them, to minister them, to be example of Christ. As Christ came to save us, to minister to us, wash those disciples' feet, came to wash us of our sins. Again, he didn't show up as their pastor. He showed up as an evangelist. And then, praise God, he left as their pastor. And absolutely, there's a call for pastors to labor in the word. And then there's a call for those that labor in the word to earn their income from the word. And there's a system that God set in place. And it's interesting, in Philippi, where they were before, Paul showed up in the same manner, preached the gospel. But by the time he left, he had become their pastor. And they actually are the ones that funded the trip to Thessalonica. But Paul didn't show up saying, listen, you know what? You need to come and do all these things for me. He came to minister to them. And then that set the table to preach the gospel. So a church was birthed. And then he became their pastor, so to speak. And absolutely could labor even all the more in the word of God, the word of truth. And indeed, there is a labor and a toiling that is involved. And in the body of Christ, again, we're called soldiers, we're called farmers, we're called laborers, we're called toilers. Is that even a word? Well, it is this morning. And again, not to save ourselves, we're saved through the Lord, but we want to walk in a manner worthy of the call of Christ, amen. And next week we'll get more into this. In fact, next week we'll even see Paul using that term, walking worthy of the call of Christ, in a manner that's blessing to God, in a manner that's worshipful to the Lord, that that again, is, is representative of him and brings glory to him. So let's stand up right now. We'll close in prayer and worship to the Lord. Heavenly Father, once again, we just thank you for this day you've given to us, this time to come together, God, to get into the scriptures, to... God, worship you. Just continue to bless our fellowship this morning. Let us, Lord, consider, God, this passage we've looked at. Lord, let all these things that have been shared be tested by the word of truth. And, Lord, I pray that we can look at them and look at our life in light of these truths. And, God, know again that you bring correction not to condemn us, but to correct us and then to strengthen us, to build our faith. Lord, it's your desire to 
God, have us to be a people abounding in you. And we just pray that would be the case this morning. And absolutely, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, an opportunity again to proclaim that. Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And this morning, if you haven't called on the name of Jesus, if you haven't entrusted your life to him, if you haven't asked him to be your Lord and Savior, and that implies you are repenting from whatever your Lord is. We all got one. And you're asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life this morning. He's inviting you to himself. He wants to wash you and cleanse you. He wants to save you. He wants to fill you with the spirit of the living God and begin a good work in you and be faithful to complete it. But listen, you need to humble your heart and call in his name and be real with them in that and be sincere with them in that. Humble and contrite are hard, he won't refuse. And again, I share the verse probably almost every sermon, but I'll share it again, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, call on him this morning if you have not, even right now. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. Search my heart, Lord. Search my
guys have a blessed day in the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite some of the altar workers to come up. And this morning, if you'd like to pray with someone, there's folks up here. And listen, if the Lord's laying on your heart, someone to go pray with or encourage, absolutely be obedient to him in that. Again, just pray have a blessed day in the Lord Jesus Christ.